0: Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast.
1: This episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast is presented by Arkhan POP International, creators of award-winning point of purchase display. To find out more, visit arkhan-pop.com. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever, and welcome to this episode from the Retail Exchange Podcast, in which we're talking beauty retail. After two years spent behind masks, beauty retail is hoping to capitalise on the booming demand for feeling good again. It's clear that the pandemic has changed what beauty means to shoppers. So too has purchasing behaviour, with a newfound desire to engage with brands and retail spaces that celebrate and bring a sense of joy and discovery to the retail experience. It's a world where store design and in-person elements of beauty retail will be forced to evolve, not to mention continued innovation in the digital space. And success will require much more than just lip service. So today on the Retail Exchange podcast, I have with me three wonderful guests, and we're going to have a fantastic conversation about the beauty and cosmetics industry. So first of all, I'd like to welcome Lou from Benefit Cosmetics, Amy from Arkham POP, and Sally from CW. Good morning. 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 So let's begin by... Starting to think about um, the beauty industry and specifically how things have changed as a result of COVID. What is the beauty industry doing to bring shoppers back and to really give them a great experience? Lou, if I could start with you, please.
2: Yeah, I think there's two patterns of change, isn't there? There's the change that was out of our control, which was pandemic led and and all of the things that happened. And then there's the change that was always going to happen that, you know, has just been expedited over the last couple of years around a how customers are discovering beauty and then the expectation of of a good beauty shopping experience and i think for the brands that are still standing today and there is an awful lot of growth still happening an awful lot of innovation that's a new brand to the industry you know new products etc um it's really about understanding the fact that everything is so different and the pace of change is so fast because what beauty means to the customer has changed completely and for a long time during the pandemic it wasn't as important suddenly to have a mascara or to have <laughs> have a really strong red lip while sitting at home but you know the thing that will always be really true to beauty is the connection, it, it makes people feel good and and we know that people want to feel good and that's that's more apparent than ever. But. I think the biggest change we see is just trying to understand what the customer wants and what good experience feels like. And that's so different to what it ever used to be.
1: Mm. So, So it's kind of accelerated the change that was happening, not necessarily created a new one.
2: Yeah, I think we've become so much more customer centric than we ever have been. And I don't think the pressure to be that was in the same way three years ago. It just wasn't. Retail didn't look the same way three years ago. There was an awful lot of maybe a a, a security blanket we didn't necessarily have before, whereas now it's all quite raw and everyone's been exposed. And, you know, customers want to know if they're spending with you, what does that mean? What do you stand for? Mm. What, what does this get for me? Why is this an experience I'm going to have with you that's better than someone I'm going to have that sits next to you? And really fighting for that attention, that relationship, because it should be a relationship because it should mean something now. And mm. I think that's much more apparent than it ever has
1: been. And I, and I guess if we just stop and think about things very practically for a moment, you know, during the pandemic, you know, for everybody, you know, men and women, you know, there was less pressure on having to look good. You know, we spent more time at home. Um, we did Zoom meetings almost from, the, dressed from the top up. Um, I'd, I've lost count of the number of times I had shorts on with a shirt um, and, you know, trying, you to be, well, <laughs> 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 trying to do business as usual. But I suppose, you know, behind a mask. Amy, from your perspective, how has the pandemic changed what we need to do to create a great beauty experience in store?
0: I very much agree, Lou, with what you've just said. And I think definitely within beauty, there was a kind of custom, the beauty customer was desperate to get back out into store. And actually, what has to happen is brands have to deliver on that experience customers want to be tactile with beauty products whether it's kind of from skincare to colour cosmetics whatever it is it's about kind of touch and experience in a physical environment obviously repeat purchase can be made online but it's about kind of rewarding that visit back out into store whilst still taking on board you know our learned behavior of those two years I've recently done some store visits and surveys and real feedback came about trial but in a kind of hygienic, safe way. So it's kind of delivering on experience. So retailers and brands need to deliver on experience, but also create a totally safe environment for their Mm. customers because... Suddenly, and a much younger consumer is really aware of that.
1: And of course, during the pandemic, when you know people were very much you know uh, shopping from home and there was less visits to stores, you know the, the need for practical things such as testers, etc., wasn't there. But now people are venturing back. What is what is the consumers' need around things such as physical handling of the product? You know, being able to test and try things, etc.
0: Feedback is very much. People still want to trial things. And of course, there can be kind of digital integration to assist with trial. But people want to feel a product, try, and there's a kind of slight distrust of accuracy in terms of digital trial and mm. things like that. And actually, during the pandemic, it was that all testers were removed by retailers. So even those retailers you could go into, kind of pharmacy, drugstore chains that were still open, um, and even as retail kind of opened wider. There was still no tester at any point, whether that was kind of prestige or Mastige brands. And I think there's also a kind of key point here. they at the from Mastige price points to prestige price points, there's a kind of huge difference where actually at prestige level, often you can have a beauty advisor to assist with hygienic and safe trial, whereas at mass level, it's often on a fixture and it's about the customer experiencing that themselves. So it's quite kind of polar opposites mm. in
1: terms of... And do you think this is very much then that? linked into kind of the different kind of needs and missions of shoppers? So yes. perhaps when you're in a uh, an FMCG environment or something which is principally self-select, maybe your expectations there are a little bit different to what you might find in a more premium outlet.
0: Yes, absolutely. And in terms of actual communication from brands in those environments, in self-select, you're led on your kind of your own path, and how does that stand and display communicate to you to facilitate purchase? Whereas actually communication where you have brand representatives will always be different. You know those brands can focus on specific elements of marketing campaigns because they have an additional voice to drive consumer engagement.
1: Mm-hmm. Sally, from your perspective, how has the pandemic changed the beauty experience in store? It's been, obviously,
3: I completely agree with what Lou said in terms of acceleration of of what we knew was happening in the digital space. It's accelerated, some say by 10 years, some say by 20 years. But I absolutely don't think that physical retail is over. I think, you know, it probably used to, brick and mortar stores used to account for 80% 80, 85% of beauty sales, it will be lower than that, but it will still be in the 70s. So that physical experience is super important. Just going back to one of Amy's points there, I mean, I'm thinking about FMCG retailers like a Sainsbury's who were obviously open during the pandemic. They're investing a lot where they have maybe are putting express checkouts where the consumer can can check out themselves. They're redeploying those staffs and retraining them in things like beauty so that they can be there on hand in store and really concentrating to help people select when they're in front of those um, testing panels and make sure that they're buying the right products for them. So that's all for the good for the consumer I think.
1: So do you think there's evidence then that the the supermarkets or the grocers for example are trying to um, take some of the tactics from the department store's playbook and how they actually interact with consumers?
3: Absolutely. I think some of them are very much uh, focused in that space. Not all of them just yet, but yeah, some of them certainly are really looking at their beauty areas, making them look different from the rest of, of the store experience to make them you know, look like a beauty department with nice gondola ends and promotions, which feel premium and kind of the interest of the consumers as they're shopping in store. so i think that's all all good obviously as an industry we've been very very hard hard hit in the pandemic but i think it's been beneficial for really re-educating not re-educating that's the wrong it's very patronizing thing to say but i think some retailers have become complacent and uh, you know assuming that they were going to keep having floods of consumers coming in store, spending huge amounts of money every month on beauty products and actually the consumer doesn't have the ability to do that now doesn't want to buy so many things has realized that they don't want to be over consuming and actually all of the retailers if they want to get attention have got to be on the top of their game which is good for us as consumers Mm. in the end you know when you are out shopping you're you know you're going you're gravitating towards the brands that are doing something slightly different and giving you an experience when you're there.
1: And let's just explore that for a moment there. You mentioned the word complacency. I would say that perhaps the, the beauty hall, as we know it in traditional department stores, seemed to be something which was a permanent fixture and never really changed mm. very much over time. What's happening now then that the beauty industry needs to kind of almost take on board to really think about how you ignite that passion back into consumers and you get you know, a shopping experience which is full of joy rather mm. than full of boredom?
2: You talk about the experience in stores. And the I think complacency is such a good word because that happened pretty much across mm. the board. And I think we have a massive responsibility as brands, as retailers, as people in the industry to give the customer the experience they deserve if they decide in the morning to get dressed, travel, walk through the doors of a beauty hall when we've educated them over the last two years in a really intensive way that everything's possible online pretty much everything's possible online next day delivery same day delivery you know discounting so to have a customer walk into a store tells you as the brand that that customer's really engaged already so you have to give a really good experience otherwise you don't deserve to have them on your mat so we've been doing a lot of work trying to figure out what does that look like and is it about the shiny new thing or is it just really good service Mm. so we asked a lot of our customers during the first lockdown How are you feeling about coming back to store when stores were about to reopen for the first time? We were all very nervous about what customers actually walk back through the doors. And 7,000 of them told us the most important thing to them was the physical connection to the team, to the person, to the conversation. So... Yes, digital is incredibly important. And from a, a mix of business, mm. it's even higher for us online. It's it's a huge business and we have to protect it. But it's built on convenience and, and you know, community
1: to a degree. From a and of course, the other side of convenience is people want advice.
2: Absolutely. And they want trusted advice. So whether it's on a mastige gondola that has really brilliant mm. communication and helps you shop and serve yourself because some people want to serve themselves, or it's a friendly face who stands there and talks to you. And I think we've probably all learned outside of just beauty, the power of exchange. I know when I order a coffee and I have mm-hmm. a, a nice exchange with someone, I think, oh, my God, I really yeah. miss that. That heartwarming joy, because, you know, I think for a long time, beauty was a, an awful lot about what you needed to cover, or what you needed to fix. Whereas the art of now just having a really good, feel-good experience, mm. positive reinforcement is key. So there's a real balance between what's new and what's flashy, you know, digital tools on counter, etc. Or what's just really good retail. And oh, a, a customer walks away yeah. feeling like, oh, I just had a real good experience with that brand. I feel better today.
0: And I think that focus on feeling good is so crucial mm. um, in in all retail, but particularly in the beauty category. And previously, we've spoken in a ton of, trend talks about, experience hunter, like delighting your customer. Actually, more that overarching thing, like for some customers, that will be relevant and it might be, I don't know, a ball pit in store or whatever it kind of, you know, bonkers thing it may be. But the fundamental thing is making people feel good. And that can be through a very small bit of communication or it can be through advice or it can be through a huge kind of experiential campaign Mm. But when you buy beauty, you want to feel good. You want to feel empowered. Mm. And I think that is mm. if there's any kind of takeaway. And it, and it's as a brand and retailer... Knowing how, knowing what makes your customer feel good, so you're communicating with them in the correct way.
1: Mm. I think we're entering an environment, um, not just here in the UK, but in many many markets, where price is going to be coming incredibly uh, important for consumers. Not necessarily because they haven't got the money to spend on treats and luxuries, but their household budgets are being stretched in so many different ways. What's your view there on whether or not consumers will still continue to prioritize beauty as a feel good? when they have so many competing demands for their household budget?
2: I think you only have to look at the growth, especially during the pandemic, of hair care, skin care. Anything that was wellness-focused tells you that there's still a massive customer base Mm. where people want to feel rewarded and more so than ever. It is like the old lipstick index adage, isn't it? Like people really cling to the the small things, small luxuries, Mm. which beauty can be. And for the most part, beauty is a small luxury. But I think... If you still continue as a brand to offer an experience where a customer feels really good, whether it's a £10 purchase, a £50 purchase, whatever that is, there'll, there'll be a customer base. And yeah, things are scary for people out there. Is is a makeup purchase as important as the other demands? Possibly not. But people will always want that escapism as well, I think. So it's why it's really important to give a good experience if people are choosing to, to part their cash with you. And this is a really easy way to to have some confidence, to feel good about
0: yourself. Yeah, yeah, kind of purchase, a treat purchase yeah. that makes you feel good. And, yeah, I hope that this represents a resurgence in lit numbers, actually. Yeah, I like think it will. Masks are kind of being removed. People, whether you may not be going out in the same way that you used to be, it may not be spending lots of money, but that kind of feeling good and about your mm. own identity mm. as an kind of expression of that just to kind of wherever yeah. you may small trips you may be making
2: yeah because yeah, i think as a brand as well it's not just the price of the product it's it's an exchange if a customer is going to spend with you you owe them a good time you owe them added value in the form of a tutorial added value in the form of a of a nice package added value in the form of a good exchange of conversation like you, you we now owe the customer mm-hmm. we've always owed the customer that but it's really important now. So do you
1: think then perhaps this is an area where we can kind of re-emphasise mm-hmm. and where the industry can you know really kind of um, you know make some gains here. You mentioned that added value perhaps in the past you know there has been that complacency mm-hmm. that you mentioned earlier Sally where perhaps we'd always assume the customer would rock up and we'd go through the standard patter and give them what we think they want but now it's a, a really opportunity to kind of almost you know bring the show on and and give the customer something much more.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the beauty industry pre-pandemic 10 years ago was one of the trailblazers, really, in, you know, social media, in that experiential thing. You know, perhaps it drifted away pre-pandemic. And now it is, as you say, it's time to bring that theatre back. And I think to the point about budgets being stretched, people were buying, spending huge amounts of money on very expensive trainers and handbags and holidays and things. And to be honest with you, for most people, that's now gone. But I honestly, to to, to your point, Lou, I, I think you know, the beauty industry is is set fair, you know, because people will just continue to treat themselves to a lipstick, a fragrance, a great body oil or whatever it might be.
1: And Amy, you mentioned in the last couple of moments, just, you know, it it seems almost bizarre to stop and focus on it. But you said now that we're not wearing masks as much, you know, let's just pause on that for a moment. (laughs) What impact do you think that's going to have in a very practical sense on the beauty industry?
0: Well, I know kind of personally that when if when you're going everywhere and wearing a mask then I wouldn't have bothered as much Mm. so on a kind of personal level I've now either dug out products or started to purchase new products and get excited Mm. about kind of categories that such as lip that before were kind of rendered irrelevant because I didn't want makeup lipstick all over my face Mm. um so I think just in terms of starting to kind of consider your whole face from a colour cosmetics perspective and just that kind of... It feels like a kind of... It's a buoyant sense of Obviously, there are some situations where you would still be wearing masks, um, but... Yeah, it kind of feels like a
3: level of freedom. Definitely so. more playful. I think, you yeah. know, we all became very obsessed with skincare. We all still are. We're all more educated now on skincare. because
1: Months it's... of central heating at exactly. home and so all of all all... that
3: drying out. Yeah, everybody became very educated on ingredients and what they were putting on their face, what they needed to use in the morning and all the rest of it. And then I think, you know, that will stay with us. Hair care, we all became experts at how to hide our roots and how to, <laughs> you know, the importance of using hair masks. That, of course, will stay. Um, but I think People are out and about a bit more now, so colour cosmetics is back. And people, so, do you think, think in
1: senses the pause that we've had, uh, of course, enforced a pause. The fact that we can now go out again and socialise, and people mm. are sort of celebrating about you know, their personal appearance and looking good—that that's a moment for the beauty industry mm. to really say, "Look, we we can fill up now, and we can you know step mm. into that space."
2: Yeah, it feels like a bit of a values reset, where you know you celebrate what would have been a really mundane thing before but you celebrate being able to meet somebody for coffee or you know it becomes an occasion because you feel free you mm. feel safe you feel a bit more confident you feel like you've got a small element of control back in your life and beauty plays a really big part in that mm. it's about taking back your your control your ability to to go out with a bold lip or or you know a really strong eye or or whatever that means to you like it's yeah it's definitely back
1: mm. Of course, the pandemic has had a big effect on retail. Um, And even prior to the pandemic, we were seeing, you know, many stores closing. And I guess within that as well, a fair number of the big former outlets for beauty, you know, department stores Mm. have been under increasing pressure. It's true, there are fewer stores now, but the stores that we have are increasingly better. Where's the opportunity for the beauty industry, do you think, there, in creating, you know, stores which are real destinations, places that stand out, that will be real people magnets and pull people back into store?
2: Starts with knowing the customer. Yeah. I mean, Sally talked about it in terms of the grocery stores and trying to enter into the beauty market and it's because that's where the customer shops so knowing where the customer is and what the customer wants is the first thing a lot of the closures that we saw during the pandemic were, were coming and the pandemic really exploded mm. an awful lot of that and it is devastating now when you stand at the top of Oxford Street and you look down people are not shopping retail the way they used to so I fully believe it's a its a massive time of of reset and a massive opportunity I think it's really exciting because it's really about customer first I think, at this stage. And that's the only way.
1: And, of course, it's not just about closures. You know, you have Mm. people like Next, for example, Mm. who are now going much bigger into the beauty category. You even see people who are, you know, traditionally clothing-based retailers like Flannels opening their own dedicated beauty halls. So it's not, you know, all a bad news story.
0: And they're doing it with all of the learnings. So Mm. they're, they're setting the bar higher and all retailers will have to kind of come and meet them because they... They've seen what's happened. They've seen what has had success and what's failed. And they're allowed, you know, like they're able to learn from that and to set up these kind of beauty destinations yeah, that really acknowledge what their customer wants. Mm. And I think there's also something about the kind of local, I think we it's easy to think about kind of big footprint stores. Actually, there are kind of beauty retailers who operate at a very small high street local store, but may have mm. other stores in kind of bigger areas such as Oxford Street or wherever it may be. And I think there's a real lesson in not just knowing your customer generally your beauty customer generally but actually on a local level mm. so what mm. does that con- beauty consumer on the small town high street want because the chances are not everything will be accessible mm. to them because it's a smaller footprint store so they may have to there may be a kind of more joined online shopping experience but how are you honoring what they want alongside honoring kind of the oxford street flagship yep. store
1: and and Lou, um, Benefit is a brand which I think founded in San Francisco and you've recently come back from a trip there yourself. One of the things I've always noticed about Benefit Cosmetics when I've been travelling in the US is how they actually do look for neighbourhood locations, places to, you know, to put a new store. Do you think that's a trend which we're going to see more of in the UK and in other locations?
2: Yeah, I mean, we've seen it already. Like, we've seen the out-of-town in inverted commas stores perform so much better because... It goes back to the customer first and how are people now living their lives. They're living their lives for the most part at That's home yeah, or, yeah. or close or local. Mm-hmm. So make it really easy. So yeah, like local high streets, smaller stores, you know, a more boutique experience, smaller versions of the bigger stores that we all know and love that are are regionally based. We see it in terms of where the customer's choosing to shop you only have to look at the footfall numbers, like regional to to city centre to see that that's where the customer is staying. So I definitely think that that's going to continue.
1: And Sally, from a kind of an insights perspective, Mm. is there anything that we can learn there in terms of why the consumer wants to shop local and, you know, what that looks like in terms of the types of stores that people want to find there?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think all of us have got very used to not having to commute and pay that huge rail fare and all the rest of it. So I think, you know, if I'm presented with... A variety of, of smaller stores on my high street it needs to feel curated so it needs to feel easy to shop I think from a consumer's point of view there's nothing worse than going into a beauty store and seeing hundreds and hundreds of products from the same brand I think the brands need to work really hard and think about to your point um, Amy about the local consumer you know and what do they want in Solihull in the West Midlands compared to what they want in Tunbridge Wells so think about that but also think obviously promote newness within the brand it's about curating and really thinking about mm. and not not feeling like you have to present every single item that you hold as a brand
1: and I've always thought that the smaller stores also have a, a, a kind of intimacy yes definitely one, one way you can engage at a much more personal level yeah. with people I think there's nothing worse than entering a big department store and you go into the kind of the monster yeah. which is the beauty hall and you feel you know possibly really a little lost. bit anxious or maybe even a little bit intimidated definitely walking into yeah. that big vast space whereas in a, a small local store where there's people who are more personable, possibly you might even know them. There, there could even be neighbours of yours that yeah. work there. There's something which enables that engagement to flow just that bit easier. Yeah.
0: And I think with that in mind, when it comes to kind of bigger footprint department style stores, actually there's a real onus on kind of advisors to have that mentality mm. and to really read. Especially kind of post pandemic, what people want from them. Because some people will be put off by that, and some people really embrace that advice. Mm. And to really kind of those advisors are a, you know. They, how they work with kind of display and how they assist sell and how if they're not there, it can still work or if they're not required, how customers can still interact with product. But that needs to be a kind of real consideration and kind of deeply trained into mm. those store members.
1: Mm. And I think, you know, this whole thing about fewer, better stores is, is a train that many retailers have really um, started to have to think about. Obviously, there's a, a cost pressure there in terms of, you know, you need to maximise the, the profitability of every location. Mm. And that's where service can really play a part. How do you think that service can step up and really, you know, kind of almost fill a space that it wasn't doing previously?
2: Well, we have a service business that was pummeled during the pandemic. I mean, with the closure of big retailers, we lost an awful lot of that estate. But we've built the majority of it back now with new openings, you know, like evolving the offer. And that's really important for us because... That's our opportunity to invite a customer in and spend time with us. Our business was built on cheeks and feet. So having a customer sit down and not only having a 20 minute service, but having a 20 minute conversation mm-hmm. and having an opportunity for me time and, and really having an experience they can't buy online or, or they can't have digitally. So I think the service proposition is really important. And I think multi-use or multi-faceted service proposition thinking about how people live their lives now and they might want to have their brows done but they might want to have another service like, you know, I think Salvages is really good at example of like the beauty concierge that they have and all the services they have in store Mm. and like even fashion resale and like fashion fixing and mending and like there's just an awful lot that you can do and it goes back to that local high street principle of you know you can kind of do everything go to the cobbler's post office do some grocery Mm. shopping and then maybe have a a treat or a service for yourself and and what that starts to look like in terms of how customers are shopping
0: and actually how out of town represents that as well it's a day out Mm. you know you can do you can go to the cinema you can go for lunch you can go and have your beauty services you can then buy your beauty products you can shop everything is there and accessible in a kind of new
3: dynamic of the high street mm. Boots have launched um, in the skincare space for number seven mm. I don't know if you've seen it a great technology where yeah. and I think it's in 400 plus stores of all sorts of different sizes and locations for Boots a device where you have an advisor analyse your skin which you know I, I've probably been privileged and have that done in maybe a department store setting but that's taking that to the nation and I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before in the skincare space making it very easy to understand so it will read the profile of your skin and then recommend products
1: As a young boy I remember going into department stores with my mother and she was getting the beauty advice and I took no greater pleasure than fiddling with the Clinique slides yeah. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> <laughs> and coming up with all kinds of wacky combinations yeah. <laughs> Presumably this is a, a digital version digital of the version.
3: Exactly,
0: exactly. And that diagnostic digital tool Mm. is so relevant for that customer. Yes. I think other brands, it maybe wouldn't be something, but they've really nailed that Mm. in terms of understanding their customer and knowing that they will spend that time to engage with their
3: brand in that manner. And to deploy that, they have really spent a long time developing the tech but also a huge training program to make sure that it's being used correctly in store that the advisors that are using it on people are a approachable and not scary to consumers which is really important in beauty um, yeah. but also that they they're authentic and trustworthy and the, the, the consumer doesn't come away come away feeling like that they've been sold something that they perhaps don't need.
1: Pre pandemic, I was very lucky to be able to travel very widely with with what I do. One of the most exciting beauty experiences I came across actually was in Hong Kong. And down on one of the harbour fronts there, in one of its quays, there is a beauty concept which I really can't really identify what it is. It's not a department store, it's not a market, it's not a a pop up area. It's actually a little bit of all of that. You're you're smiling there. I'm wondering if you've been along to it, Lou. I haven't
2: had the pleasure, but I I do know what you're talking about. And it's just
1: incredible. I have to say, it's one of the busiest spaces I've ever seen. This place was absolutely mobbed. And of course, you know, for me, it was one of the biggest innovations that I'd seen within the beauty space. And I thought, wow, there is a formula here Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, surely could be, you know, replicated and used elsewhere. But that's my experience. What have you seen in other retailers where you think, wow, that's a great initiative or a really good idea. And I wonder if there's some application here within the beauty industry.
0: In terms of what I've seen out there... It It's anything is possible. And I'm thinking specifically about kind of those Harmay stores where they're totally not what you would imagine a beauty retailer looks like, but it's relevant and right for their customer.
3: I was at a pop-up in Covent Garden, which is in London, which has, um, you know, it tends to be a bit of a beauty hub. And recently there was a pop-up for Inky List, which has mm. exploded onto the scene over the last few years. It was... Boots' largest growth skincare product last year. Um, And it was interesting because their pop-up was fascinating because you couldn't actually buy the product there, which I thought was a really, it's a very prime position, but you really felt immersed in the brand. So it had different steps. It was very playful. They had their experts there, which they're renowned for in terms of a personalized service, helping you to almost get your prescription of products that you want, which was a genius idea. And looking at the customers that were there, it was everybody from, you know, young teenagers to, to people in their
1: 40s, 50s. And I guess for them, what an amazing piece of market research yeah. as well, because they're in a sense almost, you know, getting live consumer feedback mm. in terms of what people want and giving them some direction in terms mm. of new product development.
0: Yeah, And they'd really considered the journey really good. of that space. Yeah. I feel like the past kind of three months spin up like pop-up land Mm. and we've seen loads of kind of beauty Mm. brands popping up in various locations not all pop-ups are created equal no they're not we've i think but the inky list had was really really considered that space others haven't suddenly you see pop-ups where you can't really experience product and they've put in a photo booth for the sake of a photo Mm. booth actually Mm. where that price point and brand identity isn't necessarily (laughs) for that customer and there's almost kind of too much. So I think that's, it's again, we've said this so many times, but it's really about considering what your customer wants.
1: And and Lou, having just returned from the USA, was there anything in store that really caught your eye? Um, Yeah, we
2: spent quite a bit of time in store, as I think... There's some stores here, though, that are just better. I think while the UK market is going through so many different challenges and maybe sharper challenges than other markets because the landscape is so fragmented and there are so many retailers. You know, I think the response to some of those challenges has been an awful lot better than what we would see overseas. And I think you go to Selfridges, for example, like that's a really good example for me of to answer the earlier question, because it's super immersive and you feel so much investment has been put into your experience there. You can touch, feel, smell, play in every floor, on every floor, in every department. And it's a sensory experience, which beauty and, and shopping should be. And I think I haven't seen that anywhere else. Mm. I, you know, I just haven't. And we spend our life in the stores in here, across in Ireland. We've just, We were in France. We were over in the States. You, you just don't see that kind of sharp experience. I, I mean, sharp in terms of intent and investment, but really enjoyable as a customer. So I think that for me is always a really good example. And you only have to look at what surrounds that store like retailers that just haven't made it or just don't offer the same experience and and the results are retailing
1: mm. but if we think about you know department stores and other beauty outlets how do we think about reshaping the role of the store team so that they are more than just there to open a box or you know provide something at the till point so that they are that kind of you know trusted advisor that source of expertise
2: We acknowledge how important our teams are to us. Our business is built on brick and mortar experience and and it's always been staffed. Our our teams are really important from that perspective. And we knew from the customer feedback during the pandemic that that was really important to them too. We've just done something we've never done before, which is we've taken every single member of staff who's been with us over, you know, a, a couple of months and we've gathered them for two days in a venue in London just to talk brand and just to put our arms around them and say you're so important mm-hmm. do you feel fully immersed do you feel connected how can we make that better so they go back to the counter feeling really proud of mm. what they're part of and their role in making that happen
1: and that's a really big initiative why as a brand did you feel that was important to do
2: because we asked our teams how they felt and they said during the pandemic they felt disconnected mm. and of course they did. There was furlough, there was closures, there was uncertainty, there was fear. You know, and even though people are back now, that leaves a real mark on your mm. psyche. So we wanted to make sure that as much as we want to invest in a digital channel, we always see the importance in investing in our teams first. Like every customer touch point we have, people are the most important part. So making sure our teams felt as acknowledged and seen and as important to us as anything else that we spend money on was really important and actually it wasn't for the benefit of the customer it was for the benefit of the person that stands on our counter all day long which is probably one of the hardest jobs mm. in our business mm-hmm. especially now yeah. um, And
1: what was the response that you got from the the team members who'd been through that experience
2: it was a very emotional response and we were very emotional in the room and we didn't expect that the intent was a celebration uh, a two days of our global CEO flew from San Francisco to see, to see our teams. It was It was meant to be celebratory and it was, but it was incredibly grateful, emotional, connected and people left with an energy that was representative of the energy we would have mm. had a couple of years ago and we didn't really appreciate it maybe as much as we should have, as in we all took this experience of working for granted.
1: And, and I guess, you know, during the, the, those um, moments that people shared together, you know, people talking about their own personal stories mm-hmm. and how it affected them and the fact that they could come back together as a team. It must have been incredibly powerful for people.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're a business built on people. We're a business that serves people. We're an industry that's built on people and that's mm-hmm. built on serving people. The, putting people and not just customers at the centre of it is is more important than anything. It's It's critical.
1: So that's what Lou has been thinking about as they've been re-engaging their store teams and really starting to think about how the emotions of being part of the brand play an important role. But Amy, what can you do through your work to help reshape the role of the store teams for beauty in the future?
0: So in terms of retail display, we obviously work at smaller footprint and larger footprint. But what has to happen It has to be functional for those in-store teams, whether that's a specific brand ambassador in-store or whether it's someone who works for a retailer. We know that what we make has to be functional for not only for customers to shop and locate products, but also for store staff to be able to restock. It, we need to make
1: their lives easier. So ease of use, ease, ease of, of use. installation, yeah. Yeah, ease of, of dismantling, I yeah. guess.
0: Yeah, making it something that, of course, inspires joy with the customers and that kind of end user, but that can be maintained easily. by. And I suppose staff.
1: the very direct uh, relationship there is, is the less time they have to spend, you know, installing and doing visual merchandising, etc., they give more time back to serve the customer.
0: And the easier you make it for store staff, the more they engage with that brand, actually. Making something very complex for them and time consuming just becomes challenging and irritating. So Mm. it has to be some, you know, from a fixture perspective, it has to be something that is functional and easy in store.
1: And for some of the solutions you're creating, what are some of the differences that you're now doing, you know, post-pandemic?
0: So post-pandemic, sustainability has obviously been something that's come up. We look very much at our kind of material usage in the same way that um, brands are with products. Mm. But also something that's changed is how customers engage with Fixture, the information they have, the time they'll spend there, that whole environment of trial. We've spoken about that kind of earlier on, but it's that a customer has made a journey out to store and, retail fixture has to really Mm. deliver for them they need to be able to find a product if not they'll shop someone else um but it also needs to kind of messaging needs to resonate with them so it's it's delivering on kind of ease of shop ease of messaging clear brand experience and feeling good and sparking that kind of not to be too merry condo moment of joy in that retail environment
1: Benefit is a brand which is bright and colourful and cheerful and it always has really eye-catching displays is that important to get right in store
2: absolutely Mm -hmm. customer has to have the same experience with you no matter where they shop you or where they engage with you or where they consume you and I think in stores is our opportunity to be as loud as possible, as fun as possible. You know, laughter is the best cosmetic as our brand strapline has been for, you know, 40 plus years. And it's really important that that is authentic. So bright colors, inclusive shopping experience, strong product range, like everything displayed as in, you know, no matter what your shade is, if we have it, it's here. Clear journey, clear discovery, you know, and for the most part, a really happy confident team members Mm. standing there ready to help you is yeah it's really
0: important a really interesting challenge that we've experienced is and I have as a consumer as well how you experience a product online versus how you Mm. experience it in Mm. store so actually in terms of whether it's on social media or whether it's on an online shopping platform you look very much at a product face on with its lid on say it's, you know, a skincare, cosmetics, whatever it may be, you see it in one way. Actually, and we know that most customers have experienced the product they intend to buy in store online at some point. Then you go into store and it's merchandised in a way that doesn't resonate with the online experience. Mm. So it becomes a really kind of difficult product to find Mm. from that perspective because how you, it's memorable image is then not translated in store. So that's something in terms of that, online offline experience and being really cohesive is super important from a location but yeah from that kind of emotive pre-experience of going into physical retail
1: And when we think about the brand DNA um, for, you know, each of these different kind of companies, you know, some will base themselves on science and, you know, kind of all these kind of mind-bending kind of, uh, you know, patented technologies, Mm. which, crikey, I think most of us can't pronounce, never mind remember. (laughs) But Benefit, though, seems to take a different approach. It seems to be about a kind of almost just having fun and the experimentation of... of,
2: We're we're built on two things and and two values that have not changed since we were born in 1976. And that is an instant beauty solution and feel good, easy to use cosmetics. And it's not about what you're wearing, it's about how you feel. Mm dna all damn day is the term that we use in our business to empower ourselves our teams to just remember keep it simple we have some of the best innovation in the business we have some of the best products in the business but the end result and the thing that's most important to us is how good that person feels when they put it on it's quick it's easy it's fuss free and it's really about getting you out the door and starting your day feeling really great and that i have to say to work on a brand like that is just so empowering mm. because we're such an innovation-led brand. We've just come back from San Francisco and seen some of the most incredible innovation I've ever seen in the industry that's going to come out over the next couple of years. Are you allowed
1: to share any Absolutely secrets? Absolutely not. <laughs> I knew. I, knew. I had to ask a the question there, didn't
2: I? But, you know, it's, it's really inspiring. But also knowing that the end goal of how the person feels is more important or as important is brilliant because that's never changed for us in almost 50 years of, of being around. And there's so many brands who will never reach their 50th anniversary. But, you know, we've done that by keeping it really clear and consistent the whole way through it it is about joy
1: for sure and and sally is there any evidence that you can kind of or or insight that you can bring to the to the table here around you know how consumers kind of view you know are they more interested in kind of that fun feel good factor or or being blown away by the science to Lou's
3: point about benefit i mean every i've known the brand for a long time because i've i've worked with the brand many times that You're very true to yourself. You never waver from that. And I think that is key to any brand success these days. You can't be flip-flopping depending on what's fashionable at the Mm. time. Science, undeniably, you know... Young consumers, I've got a son who's 16. He's very aware of ingredients in skincare. He knows what niacinamide is. He knows about salicylic acid. So, And that's because those brands that have been targeting him have been sort of drumming that into that younger generation. So undeniably, that science side of is never going to go away. But for some people, it's just not their bag. I think we all have something that we that kind of be, makes our heart beat when we're buying a product and whether that's the joy of a benefit or the science of an inky list or whatever it might be, or the luxury of a La Mer, it's, you know, I, I, you, but the brands have just got to be very clear on what they are and what their DNA is and, and not try and beat everything to everybody because that's mm-hmm. game over. You can't do that.
1: You and can't. Amy, when you're creating POP solutions or, you know, other installations for brands in store, how do you go about protecting that all-important DNA?
0: So from the moment of brief, we work very close, you know, we'll take on a brief and our design team really immerses themselves in what that brand stands for. So as you were saying, Sally, it's really important. We're really lucky the brands we work with really know their own identities. Mm. And that's really crucial because we're kind of as a partner taking that on board. So that clarity is so important and so and you're right some people will want to talk about the kind of um, ingredient led functionality of products and it's different for different Mm. brand but we do a very kind of immersive experience from design stage and through kind of our account management team we really know the brands we work with and we really
1: partner up with them so this is really about the depth of the partnership yeah because
0: in physical retail environments whatever they may be whether it's a grocer or whether it's a department store a brand needs to stand out and be true to themselves to be part of a consideration set Mm. actually otherwise it just gets lost in mixed Mm. messaging
1: and staying with you, Amy, for the next question. Um, there's increasing pressure on store budgets, and, and you know brands are having to make hard choices about you know mm-hmm. where to invest. How do you you go about almost? innovating and refreshing a store space but doing so affordably you know i think you know many brands have had some big excesses over time I and mean, i think you know it was once quoted that you know someone like dolce and gabbana was spending you know 40 grand a year shipping fresh flowers into into Harrods. You, know, <laughs> you know whether totally it's true if or myth, would like to bring that budget to us <laughs> i'll take it exactly. um,
0: but we work with many different size brands and affordable I tend to view it more as kind of cost effective. We work with our brand partners in terms of what their budget is. And then we deliver on, We've I've got a fabulous design and development team who deliver on creativity, but also we kind of engineer and develop everything to meet customers' budgets. And that's the only way we can do it. Yes, brands are being pushed for, not in the same way as the fresh flowers, but being pushed in terms of investment with retailers, in terms of being given spaces, there are obviously things that come in in terms of economies of scale and ways that we can uh, reduce
1: costs. So could but this fundamentally be about we work the budget. repurposing displays? Yes, or, we do that a lot, uh, actually, yeah. We do. Know, giving them a kind of a second phase mm-hmm. of a campaign or those kinds of activities?
0: Yeah, a lot of the display we work with is built for longevity to be adaptable. A, uh, to be reused to save costs, also to meet sustainability objectives and to assist with in-store uh, merchandising by store teams or kind of brand staff, just because it's simpler. There's less wastage and it's kind of an easier changeover and launch of new. Mm-hmm. So it kind of ticks almost every
1: box and I believe that one of your innovations that you have within Arkan is is that you have a, a, an amazing QR system that helps store teams to identify yes. um, how to recycle um, each of the different components from your displays.
0: Yes, this was um, the Arkin recycling code was developed by our sustainability team. We realised that a barrier at the end of display life was that store staff didn't know kind of the recycling streams to put things into and really we just wanted to make this really simple for them. So every display is has a QR code that's concealed from the consumer so can't be mistaken for any kind of brand engagement but be, can be scanned by in-store teams and depicts how to dismantle and what things are made mm. of just to kind of ensure that we're doing our due diligence and helping the brands we work with meet their sustainability objectives
1: so that's a very good idea mm. and, and, and demonstration i guess of how tech can help the uh, store teams um, get it right by making sure that you know those items end up in the right place
0: yeah thank goodness for the qr code and the resurgence of the yeah. qr code really it is a really kind of functional piece for that in store
1: team. Mm. Lou, how are Benefit using tech to empower store teams and you know give them insights into the consumer or uh, in terms of what service needs that they can deliver?
2: We've invested a lot in new booking systems and working with the teams on counter actually for the first time ever in that onboarding process and in that bespoke building process. So where it's a, a tech platform, it's built to the way that they will use it in stores because there's nothing worse than integrating a new tech platform and the team not feeling confident to use it, they hate it, they won't use it. So we've had the teams really cross-functionally input into what that looks like. So that's really important because there's two priorities. One, the teams on counter know how to use it. And the second is customer has a good experience and they're standing there and, and the team's not, you know, feeling nervous trying to find the right data or trying to figure out the system. So that's been a really key focus and really just making sure whatever we do, we say in our... Business all the time. If it's not your job to serve the customer, it's your job to serve the person that does. So, really, just making sure anything we're doing from a digital campaign, from an e commerce campaign, from a CRM campaign, everything is shared with the teams on counter so they understand the customer's experience as well. So, they know how to serve that when it comes to them. But whatever happens from a tech integration perspective from now on, the teams are are a part of it because. It's not about sitting in a boardroom, figuring out what the in-store tech looks like. It's about standing on the shop floor and having the teams who who use it day in, day out shape before us because it's for them at the end of the day.
1: So it's really about responsive design in that sense that you, you create products that are going to enable the people that are on the ground with the consumer to do a better job.
2: Yeah, it has to be. As a function internally, we're very accountable and very aware that we're a service function to the business. So if we're going to put something on the counter from a tech perspective or even from a, a VM perspective that's a little bit innovative. It's got to go through the teams first because we have to understand that it's what they want. Mm. It's functional for them, but also makes them feel good. But it it serves the customer at the end of the day.
1: Mm. Sally, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about social media, how the consumer can be very vocal there. But of course, social media isn't just about for complaining. It's also you know places where people will uh, innovate, they mm. will um, share uh, videos, upload, um, give feedback, reviews, all, all those kind of things. How do you see that social media and especially things like gamification are going to become important to cosmetics brands? you know, as we move forwards?
3: I mean, increasingly so. I think um, over the weekend, actually, I saw, um, sorry to mention another brand, but Charlotte Tilbury have uh, launched an avatar of Charlotte, who's the makeup artist that launched the brand. And, you know, they, they've been in the gamification space for a long time. So over the last couple of years, you can access via their app you can kind of play little games where you get rewards you might get samples that kind of thing another brand that's been doing it really well is Gucci Beauty which launched a few years ago so obviously fairly prestige price points they have an amazing in-store physical displays in, in stores like Harrods, but they equally are interacting with an app called Dressed, which is a, you know, traditionally it started off as a as a fashion game, I suppose, an app. Is that how you'd describe it, Amy? I think I would. But they they're the first beauty brand to be on dressed was, was Gucci Beauty. So that is is a great way. And actually, you know, I'm I'm far too old for apps like that these days, but I have to admit I did lose about an, an hour of my life playing <laughs> on Dressed because it's kind of playing dress up with you know you're playing with clothing products Products, but also now, color cosmetic products. So, I think increasingly, you know, brands are going to be looking about at gamification, at avatars. The metaverse is everything that we keep hearing about at the moment. I'm sure uh, Lou is heavily involved in that kind of thing <laughs> at the moment. Most brands are looking at what their brand looks like in, in the digital space.
1: And, Amy, you mentioned that mm-hmm. consumers have changed their behavior in store around, you know, how much time they spend at displays and their engagement with displays. Do you see here that things like gamification or social media integration? can also become part of the in-store experience.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Every customer is carrying around (laughs) a very powerful device. They've also spent huge amounts of time online over the past few years, irrespective of age group. Interestingly, gaming demographics have increased Mm. in terms of age, Uh, so we're no longer speaking specifically about a younger consumer. But absolutely, people are willing to kind of get out their own devices and engage Mm. with uh, for warranted experience with
1: brands and you know whereas before you know we were purely talking about um, e-commerce mm-hmm. as, as the big driver clearly now the metaverse provides a whole new level of of new opportunities sally what do you think the metaverse might mean <laughs> for beauty uh
3: i don't know okay good. i don't know i mean i honestly um, don't i mean we are we're all um, having conversations with brands. We're seeing brands launching NFTs. Not really sure that I completely understand what an M- NFT and why anyone would spend any money on it, but I'm sure I will very quickly. Um, but there are, you know, there are heritage brands like a Clinique are launching NFTs. They were one of the first to do so. Brands like Fenty have been really early adopters of Metaverse and exploring how they can Uh, as a brand can use that space. And I guess we've seen it a lot in the recent fashion shows. You know, there's been a lot more talk in the fashion industry, but I guess beauty will accelerate very quickly through the rest of this year. I don't know. I don't, to to answer your question is, I don't know what beauty looks like in the metaverse. I'd like to meet someone who does. Yeah, I don't think anybody (laughs) does. But I
0: suppose it's that thing of if 20 years ago, we were talking about a social media mm. platform that was all image-based that yeah. we then clicked on to shop. We wouldn't have been able mm. to... We'd have said, well, what's going to happen to MySpace? Mm. Which seems so bonkers mm. now and so far away because Instagram so and other social media platforms yeah. are so ingrained in how we behave. Even the idea of a phone with a screen mm. 20 years ago, we couldn't have yeah. been imaginable. So the, what the future of the metaverse is, I don't think anyone truly knows, but as brands and retailers of course you want to be where your customers are and where your potential customers are and but I think there is a kind of warning I think everyone can jump onto things Mm. very quickly like you were saying Lou. and actually there's potential for to spend a lot of money Mm. and not really see return on investment so it's about knowing what your customer wants and what you want it to deliver and what that presence looks like.
1: Mm. So for now, perhaps the best thing that we can say is is it's a watch this space, but we can also be very clear and say that for the beauty industry, the future is very much still all about in-store and the experience in-store.
3: Definitely. I'm, I'm a, absolutely yeah. confident of that. You know, I think brands have had to, of course, improve their multi-channel approach and be the best they can be on every touch point of how the customer is accessing their mm-hmm. brand. But at the end of the day, I think that physical face to face in store theatre is here to stay. People love shopping.
2: We're a a nation of shoppers. It's about understanding the strengths of both, isn't it? Omnichannel is super important. You've got to be very visible everywhere your customer is consuming. And that's really key. But e-commerce is brilliant in terms of convenience, speed, replan, Mm. discovery, especially from a digital space and the opportunity to connect with other people in-store will always win out when it comes to touch, feel, smell, play. Mm. You know, it's just the strength of both. And that cohesive experience
1: across all platforms. Mm. Fantastic. I've been talking all things beauty with Lou from Benefit Cosmetics, Amy from Arkham POP, and Sally from CW. Thanks, ladies.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: This episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast was presented by Arkham POP International creators of award-winning point-of-purchase display. To find out more, visit arkin popcom You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.